Hello, I'm Terry Schultz and I am channeling Brussels, getting newsmakers, movers and shakers to lose the lingo, burst out of the Brussels bubble and have real conversations about the foreign and security policies shaping our world. It's the rest of the story, beyond the few seconds of sound bites that make it into the headlines. This week's Channeling Brussels is brought to you by the Atlantic Council. And my guest this week is Latvian Foreign Minister Edgar Šminkevič, whom I interviewed recently in Riga. I wanted to know how Latvian leaders view their prospects for partnership and protection with a Donald Trump administration. There have been all these headlines blaring and even experts predicting that the Baltics and Latvia in particular would be ground zero if World War III breaks out, which according to some such reports is more when than if, just a matter of time thanks to Russian President Vladimir Putin being emboldened by the fact that Trump's views on Kremlin ambitions are ambiguous at best. Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania are always in a tough position regarding the image they portray in relation to Russia. They don't want to be unduly alarmist about Moscow, but neither do they want their allies to underestimate the threat coming from the Kremlin. I was fortunate enough as a very young journalist living in Finland to cover the resumption of the Baltic states' independence from the Soviet Union in person in 1991, and I know firsthand just how sensitive this is. Foreign Minister Rinkevich bridges that line in this interview. We are not expecting here the beginning of the World War III. Actually, we are not expecting the beginning of the World War III anyway. Where are these headlines coming from? Well, that's a very good question. Frankly, what I have seen since uh, illegal annexation of Crimea by the Russian Federation in March 2014, there have been at least three waves by international media coming here, spring 2014, looking for eastern Ukraine, for Crimea scenario in the northern part of Estonia or in the eastern part of uh, Latvia. Then we had the same kind of... Uh, wave again in 2015 for whatever reason and then of course uh, beginning of 2016 when we had a couple of documentaries like BBC some reports I do believe that people simply do not know the situation here they assume that if you have a large Russian speaking minority that you have some history of Ukraine then you can actually kind of make a uh, well, comparison or, or try to build your own theory. Uh, I would say that, yes, indeed, to some extent, we have our own history behind us. It's 1940. Events in Ukraine, particularly the illegal annexation of Crimea, uh, have been very, very resembling of the kind of uh, history we knew. But at the same time, people tend to forget some things. First of all, we are part of NATO and the EU. Second, all people who live here, yes, they don't like their living standard. They want to have it higher. They want it to have it like Germany or Denmark or Sweden. But again, compared with Russia, compared with many of those countries outside of EU, uh, we live, I would say, much better lives. People can travel around, they can study. So there are many things that uh, should be taken into account. And yes, indeed, I also believe that all those decisions NATO has taken so far, be it Wells Summit or be it Warsaw Summit, they have also the value of deterrence. So all those things considered, I think that uh, everyone outside of Latvia should calm down 
and I would uh, really suggest not to look at scenarios that we don't find plausible. The World War III is not plausible scenario here. Okay, but the very fact that you point out NATO has reinforced immensely its its measures here, it's, it's both reassurance and deterrence measures. So it wasn't the international media making things up. NATO planners also saw a credible threat that they needed to reinforce. Look, I think that uh, indeed there is one thing that we have seen people coming in, interviewing a lot of uh, inhabitants in the eastern part of Latvia and finding to the big disappointment that this is not going to be another Ukraine. It's not going to be, you know, the kind of uh, hotspot or problem spot uh, for Europe. At the same time, uh, hearing some of the speeches in Moscow that there is a kind of uh, mission to protect Russian world, that uh, we want to have now great Russia uh, re-emerging again and, and so on and so on, I think that those deterrence measures that have been taken were appropriate. And by the way, we have always advocated for two-track approach when it comes to Russia. One is dialogue where our interests overlap, be it fight against terrorism, be it also situation in Syria, be it Iran nuclear deal. But then, of course, you have to send a strong message that this is NATO territory, this is EU territory, and uh, that NATO takes its commitment seriously. So, you know, there is um, kind of very good Russian proverb used one time, very long time ago, actually, by President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, when he was talking about nuclear deal with Russians. That is trust, but verify. In our case, I would say, yes, we are not in panic, we are not fearing anything, but we are cautious. And in order to be really assured, we need this NATO presence. But at the same time, I really don't find uh, a kind of credibility to those assumptions about uh, immediate military confrontation here. We are more, by the way, concerned about some other things. It's uh, what we call sometimes hybrid warfare information warfare, uh, cyber defense issues. Those issues, I would say, are much higher on my security agenda than the kind of military uh, security. Military security is taken very good care of. However, what we have seen in some of EU countries, use of information as the weapon, also the propaganda warfare actually against our values, this is something that I would say we are all equally exposed, be it Germany, be it Belgium, be it United States, or be it Latvia or Baltic states at large. Um, this last wave, I think, of people being alarmed was because of the U.S. election. Sure, when you have NATO, you have Article 5. If you have a U.S. president who says, well, the U.S. wouldn't go if your defense budget is too low, wasn't that why this latest wave raised alarm? Well, I think that I have been answering this question many times because, uh, indeed, there has been quite a disappointment in the United States for a very long time. Somehow we all neglected it. Many administrations, President Clinton, President Obama, President Bush, were talking about the need for Europeans to increase their defense budget. Uh, now comes one of the candidates, now President-elect, and says that, actually, I'm taking this very seriously. By the way, he didn't say, I will not defend. Yes, he said, I want to see defense budgets, uh, commitments to uh, 
NATO to us being fulfilled. We should really take those words as they stand, not what we sometimes want to make out of it. And I think that from that point of view, uh, the concern of the United States about uh, NATO European allies not doing enough is the right one. I think that uh, this country, Latvia, is fulfilling it and we started to increase our defense budget actually in 2015, long before this debate in the United States. We are going to uh, have 2% of GDP uh, devoted to defense in 2018. So we take our commitment seriously and we don't have any reason to doubt that United States will take their commitment if there is really the contingency, the kind of, you know, catastrophe coming in uh, seriously. So I don't want to be part of this kind of debate. Yes, we understand the position of United States. We do hope that as the new US administration takes office, that uh, we will have also good dialogue, that uh, we will be the country that will be advocating for the continuation and strengthening of the US-European security and strategic relationship. One more just on, on the Trump question, though. If he were, as is feared, and we don't know, to become closer to President Putin, would that not embolden Putin to take stronger measures, even if he's not going to cross <clears throat> your border, to say the things about needing to protect the Russian-speaking minorities and those kind of things? We have seen him do that in the past, as you've pointed out. Look, there are two issues I want to underline. One is we all understand that we need to do a lot also here in this country to strengthen our resilience. I was talking about the information warfare, I was talking about cybersecurity, I was talking about the need to uh, also strengthen our police force for different reasons. Uh, by the way, we are also working hard now to uh, improve the border protection, the eastern border protection, for two reasons. Well, we have seen what happened two years ago in Estonia, the kidnapping of uh, Estonian security police officer, but also there are some migratory pressures as well. So let's not forget that we are talking about the Latvian-Russian and Latvian-Belarusian border as the EU-Russian border or EU-Belarusian border and NATO-Russian and NATO-Belarusian border. That's one thing. Uh, the second issue is, uh, again, uh, I've, I was asked this question, what about the improvement in overall US-Russia relations? Look, this is not necessarily a bad thing. If they can improve the cooperation on some of issues, but if the key principles of international law are being preserved, I think this is something that we still shouldn't rush in the judgment and to say this is bad or this is good. This is going to be developing story. But then again, we have seen also in history that there have been administrations trying uh, to start their kind of rapprochement or restart uh, or reset or looking into the eyes of the president and seeing the soul and you, you have all those things and unfortunately at some point you see that in order to get uh, improvement of relations or in order to dance you need two. So from that point of view I think that uh, while I would hope for some improvement of the general climate I still think that we are going to see many issues that are on the table. What are we going to do is the fact that Crimea is illegally annexed and as you know EU as well as the United Nations have 
now very strong position on non-recognition of this. We have also our package of sanctions that we actually uh, prolong almost uh, every uh, half a year, if I'm, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Then we have Eastern Ukraine, we have Syria. I think that uh, whatever initiatives are being uh, discussed right now, and I wouldn't object to the improvement of relations. I think nobody would object. But then the question is on what basis? And I think that in the interest of the international community is that those key principles of international law and order are being preserved. What exactly is the Kremlin doing in Latvia? Is it simply Russia, misinformation on Russian TV? Is it subliminal messages in some other ways? NATO has said that cyber warfare could rise to an Article 5 offense. People are very worried about this. Uh, I think that one thing we should also be clear. Whatever kind of niceties are going to be exchanged by diplomats and politicians, some things will continue. And those kind of propaganda incursions in our societies. And by the way, I would say that don't look at it only as the kind of the Baltic problem. That was a mistake my colleagues made two, three years ago. Now, many of my colleagues who were brushing aside all those issues are coming to me saying, my God, we were wrong. By the way, I would say that uh, even uh, those countries that thought that, okay, you know, this is about Russian-speaking population, we don't care all of suddenly found that there is such an influence by both, by Russia today in German or English or French, or by Russian TV channels on Russian-speaking communities in those countries, that you simply cannot say that this is something that you can neglect. Would you throw the U.S. in there now too? Uh, by the way, uh, when you speak with the United States diplomats, uh, they acknowledge this and they acknowledge that already a year and a year and a half ago that uh, there are some particular problems uh, in their own countries with this. Uh, so what they are doing, that's of course the question to them. However, I would say that my response to this kind of challenge would be twofold. The first thing I think, unfortunately, you will not like it, but I have to say it anyway. The first thing, we still need to distinguish between media and propaganda instrument. In my opinion, you can like it, and Russian Foreign Ministry can like it or dislike it, I don't care, but we cannot say that Russia today, Sputnik, or those Russian media outlets are media. Those are propaganda tools, they are state-owned instruments you deal with them accordingly. If they break the law, you suspend them. You can actually uh, use some of the legislation, and we have some of legislation, uh, to suspend broadcast and actually to make a very strong point. From time to time, our uh, supervisory board of electronic media is doing that to that or another Russian TV. But we do it when we find that there is enough evidence to suspend. It's not just, I don't like it. Then you need to have have some proof. So this, like it or not, but this distinction has to be made. And the government and the country in question, be it Latvia or Germany or France, in my opinion, has a legitimate reason to counter such kind of attacks against the country. That's one. 
Second, yes, it is much difficult, but we are trying to track some financial means. And also we are trying to address this issue, how to cut some financial ties. Again, requires a little bit of intelligence, requires a little bit of the work of the specific government institutions that are responsible, but still this is uh, number two issue. Number three, uh, yes, we sometimes and politicians like to do it a lot. We are talking about the unity, about the need to uh, provide the message to the public, our own message. Uh, however, however, I would say that this is a kind of long-term uh, plan. Um, your, your Lithuanian counterparts have said they do expect Putin to test NATO. Uh, do you do you think that's uh, that's um, uh, likely to happen? Well, uh, I think that we have so many speculations about uh, possible scenarios. We will see definitely attempt by Russia to test the new administration. How far this administration is willing to go as well as we are going to see the same with new governments that are going to be voted in Europe. And I think that this is very important that while open-minded, uh, we still stick on some of the key principles. If we don't, then I think we are going to see the collapse of the order as we know it. And actually there are not going to be beneficiaries on the both sides of Atlantic, be it United States or Europe. So from that point of view, uh, I'm not so pessimistic about the kind of uh, testing of NATO or testing of the United States up till the uh, day of inauguration. I think that uh, we are going to see kind of attempt to make some kind of reconnaissance uh, steps by both sides. Uh, however, I do believe that uh, there is going to be quite a dynamic situation with real attempt by both sides to test the limits. That was Latvian Foreign Minister Edgars Rinkevich speaking to me in Riga about his expectations for the intersection between Putin and Trump geopolitics and what that might mean in the Baltic region. While Rinkevich is the epitome of calm, he was clearly very relieved when we talked that the Latvian parliament had just approved boosting defense spending to 2% of GDP by next year. That's the magic NATO number achieved by but a few and expected to factor heavily in President Trump's enthusiasm for protecting allies under threat. Thanks to the Atlantic Council for underwriting this episode of Channeling Brussels. I'm Terry Schultz. Join me next time.